This episode of Ride at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where this week you're going to get jumbo shrimp saving $7 a pound for wild and cooked. Uh, they're 6 to 25 count and uh, they're delicious. And of course, everything in the seafood department at Zupan's is fantastic. So it's a good time to look there. However, the holidays are coming up. So you may be wanting to think a little bit about poultry and side dishes as well, Court. That's exactly right. The Thanksgiving ordering at Zupan's closes this Sunday at uh, midnight. So if you want to order something, either your entire meal or part of your meal or some great pies, this is just for ordering ahead. You can always walk into your local uh, Zupan's and get a lot of this stuff, but ordering ahead, which I just did the other day, Chris, uh, it's just the four of us this year for Thanksgiving at my house. And so we ordered the Thanksgiving meal for four. It pretty much comes complete. You can obviously add some stuff on. I, I, we added on this really great Brussels sprout salad that they have. Um, but they make it super easy to uh, order on their website, zoopans.com. And you can even tell them, hey, I don't even want to come inside. Could you please bring it outside to me when I arrive? And they'll take care of all of it on the website. So again, if you want to order a meal or a turkey, which they have great uh, selections of, you want to do that online before this Sunday at midnight. And also if you're cooking yourself and you want to find some prepared food as well, they have expanded store hours uh, leading up to Thanksgiving and on Thanksgiving day. So every day starting Monday, they're open uh, at 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. And then Thanksgiving, of course, they're going to close down so their employees can enjoy a little Thanksgiving break. But they're open Thanksgiving Day, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. if you need some last-minute um, ingredients or uh, just want to get lazy and go in and say, I'm going to get something so I don't have to cook. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and keep that all in mind for Christmas, too. The same is going to apply for Christmas. So if you're if you don't get in there for Thanksgiving, or you do, you can also do it for Thanksgiving as well. And then there's the table. Oh, yeah. What would you put on the table? Well, the, the interesting thing, uh, Chris, is when you order, if say, for example, for me, when I was ordering uh, my family meal for four for Thanksgiving, uh, one of the options of add-ons that I had there was an awesome floral arrangement. And they've got a variety of these. We've been talking about Zupan's floral department for years now and they they do it upright for Thanksgiving and they've got a great variety of centerpieces and table pieces that you can have on your uh, Thanksgiving table to make it that much better. Fantastic. So go visit and look at those, the great floral department at any one of three locations on West Burnside uh, at McAdam and Lake Oswego. And uh, one other place where you can get a better idea of everything at Zupans is... Zupans.com. All right, it's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And Court, we're both uh, recording from home. You're not in the Kink.fm studios this morning. I am not today. Um, I'm, I'm looking out on the, uh, on the uh, I don't know, the back of my property at just sopping wetness. Yeah, I got the same here in Manzanita looking out. But I'm always, I'm never, it's never a bad thing to be looking at rain when you're in Manzanita. I don't care. It's sure. Fine. Yeah. Here. Speaking of which, before we get to it, um, on the, uh, on today's episode, 
you're going to, <laughs> it wasn't until about halfway through that I realized that there, there was a window open. I thought the noise I was hearing from the incredible storm was just because you could hear it from As inside the house. You thought it was an incredible storm. It was an incredible, it was, but there was a window that was cracked. Ah. And so halfway through the interview, I closed it. So I hope the ambient wind noise, which I think adds to the ambiance of the time. Sure. Yeah. We have wind wind blowing our podcast, Um, but it's in, it's in there. And um, uh, it was an insane storm yesterday. We've had king tides out here. And uh, if you go to, I don't, I think it was on my stories. I should just probably post it to Portland Food, ADV, uh, Instagram, the video that you and I were just talking about that I shot out at Fort Stevens in the middle of King Tides, crazy stuff. So um, 25 huge waves splashing me when I was up on the platform. Yeah, you, you've always um, been able to just uh, capture some of the, the greatness that is the Oregon coast. In fact, I think people are kind of surprised by that when they go to Portland Food ADV on Instagram and, and they see more like nature and dog shots than they see actual food. Uh, yeah, well, that, especially recently, my friend. Yeah, but that's your, that's your secret sauce. But I was, I was just saying that like those, the, the pictures and the video from your trip out to uh, Fort Stevens was, just, was so crazy and, and like so visually good. I, I, I was having like a 4D experience. I was tasting the salt in my mouth. Well, I did. I've never taken pictures before and tasted salt water, but I was up, uh, anybody who's familiar with the platform where the Columbia meets the Pacific out at Fort Stevens State Park, it's about, I'm guessing about at least 30 feet high, maybe 50. And um, those waves were crashing up. So I was completely sopped. And uh, yeah, it was exhilarating. Couldn't stay out there forever. Um, but, um, and then we took some shots at Arcadia and down in Rockaway, uh, really beautiful stuff. The King Tides didn't take the dogs out close to it. So, uh, because you just never know when that, those waves are going to come up. But anyway, outside of the weather, it's crazy times in Portland in terms of the restaurant world. It's stormy and, um, and gloomy and overcast and it's, it's a terrible thing with the, with the recent shutdown uh, after, as you said a moment ago, when we were talking before we, you hit the record button, uh, these are restaurants that have put a lot of resources into figuring out outside dining during the winter. Yeah. Or, or even just happy to be able to serve in some fashion inside their restaurants and now all the ramifications, there's so many parts to it that are crazy. Um, let me just go down the list. Let's start with vandalism. I see so many restaurants still being vandalized with the stuff they put up outside. Yeah. Um, one after the other. So you've got that. That happens no matter what. But really, in terms of revenues and getting through, it's been eight months now, and these restaurants were hoping for something over the holidays. and now they're shut down at least probably until Christmas, right? Or right before. Um, I, think, have, I, I, yeah, I, I think te- I think technically they're saying right before, but I think the reality everybody's feeling is that as we go through Thanksgiving next week and, and all that, that it's, uh, you know, what, what can they count on anymore, you know? Yeah, well, uh, if, even if they open up a month from now, which right. would be like the 19th, 18th or 19th, 
what the tone has been set for it's freaky to go out. So, um, and it is anyway, and that's the reality, but there's no relief programs in place for restaurants. And on top of that, this is a time when if anybody went on unemployment um, back in March, it runs out uh, unless something's done the day after Christmas. Right. So these restaurant operators who, you know, act out of love, really, I mean, they're not in it for the money. And certainly right now they're just trying to survive. But a lot of the reason they operate is because they have a passion for the business. And there are a lot of people who are also passionate about the business that they employ. And so over the last eight months, they've been furloughed, back furloughed, and now you've got a situation where you're furloughing your employees because you can't, certainly can't afford to pay them. Front of the house people, they can't be there. Right. Um, you can't afford to pay them. And, then, and now they don't have any, for a while it was okay for the employees because, uh, and employers because there'd be some unemployment um, for them. And now there won't, there won't be unless Congress acts, but those words are, you know, that's a, that's a pipe dream based on what we've seen over the last few months. Oh, yeah. Uh, so now unemployment's running out too. And not only that, it's winter time and all of us want to get out. It's holiday time and that's when you should be celebrating at restaurants and you can't do it at home. Wow, this is just... It's rough. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's interesting because you go right across the river into uh, Vancouver, Clark County, and Washington has a a slightly different uh, approach to this, where they are allowing um, outdoor dining um, for restaurants, and it it seems like there, which is crazy to say that there was a rush to 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 this new shutdown policy because we've been living in this for eight months, and you would have thought that at a certain point. Um, that they would have been having conversations with the health department, with the restaurant industry, trying to figure out, okay, if we need to go into some form of shutdown again, what's best case? And, I, and I'm assuming, I, I'm just saying this, assuming this didn't happen because it doesn't feel like it did talking yep. to friends that are within the industry because um, it, it just seems counterintuitive because essentially they're forcing, you know, people want to, to celebrate the holidays to the degree they can. And with everything shut down, everybody's going to hunker in their homes. And then suddenly you've got people hunkering down with more people than they probably should in their homes. That to me seems like it's the, a, a bigger issue in terms of spreading the virus than going to an outdoor tent, you know, in downtown Portland where there's open air and according to what we've been hearing, that's, that's a safe place to be in theory. Right. And I'll, I'll also say this, uh, I, I may be wrong, but I went out a few times, uh, once to ringside, once to, uh, Masia, Jose Chess's place at the Hyatt centric. And from what I can see, the restaurants that were serving indoors were taking severe precautions. Yeah. And, and the clientele that was there was understanding and respectful. For the most part, I can't speak, you know, I haven't been everywhere, so I can't speak to it. But what I saw was a situation where it probably was safer to be at those restaurants than it would be to be at uh, a family gathering for Thanksgiving with even, you know, with even two people you, whom you don't know where they've been. Right. So, um, so there's that too. And I'm going to add another one that I just thought of that I've seen that has happened is that 
uh, restaurants also recently this week just got notice that their unemployment contributions uh, are going up, I think, by at least 2%, which, you know, if you have quite a few employees, you're, that's another hit to the restaurants. They're paying the freight uh, for unemployment insurance, and it, that just went up. So it's, it's one thing after the other. However... Yeah. There are some things that can be done, and one of the one of the initiatives that um, my friend Erica Palmer and a lot of people are working on in um, Oregon is to pass cocktails to go legislation because the way things are written, it ha we they need a special session, so um, they're trying to get uh, the Oregon Senate back into session sometime soon to pass that legislation to at least help a little bit. So the Independent Restaurant Alliance is uh, working with them to pass that. Um, if you go, we'll put a link on our show notes at rightatthefork.com under this particular episode, which would be uh, the <laughs> cart before the horse here, Siobhan Spirits episode. We'll put a link there, and uh, you can go there. You can also go to the hashtags or, or for Oregon Cocktails to Go. So that's OR Cocktails to Go and hashtag Save Oregon Restaurants to find a way to take action. Um, so they're doing some of those things. Um, so on that page, which is, I'll just read it here if someone can't go to the link. It's INDP. So it's indprestaurants.org slash blog slash take action. Uh, it shows you what you can do to take action. And some of those are writing letters to Governor Brown, and they have uh, templates that you can send and how to send that letter and also to the legislators as well. So um, call anybody you can in the government and tell them we need this because we they really need whatever they can get. In addition... They have a sample script there. But in addition, uh, surely urge them to provide some sort of relief to yeah. the restaurants as well. So yep. um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. And if you probably follow your favorite restaurants, they'll be helpful. But I say uh, easiest thing is go to um, what's, what's Plate and Pitchfork on Instagram and Facebook. She, Erica's doing a lot. So if you find pitchfork pdx i think it is um it may just be pitchfork i can look that up but um you'll see ways to help there it's really sad and um you know just when we were starting to find some positive stories to share mm -hmm. um on the podcast then this hit so we're still looking for positives and there will be some but overall this is not a good situation it's pretty bad yep I, I think it's going to take all of us, people inside the industry and, and more people outside of the industry that just, you know, want to return to a, a thriving Portland restaurant industry. Right. And then, by the way, the other thing that can be done, the easiest thing to do and the tastiest thing to do is to support the restaurants you want to see in business uh, by ordering takeout. And a lot of them, ha a lot of restaurants have, uh, you know, or are offering um, new menus you can check out and certainly for Thanksgiving yeah. and Christmas, um, including ringside, which you'll hear about momentarily, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, make sure you support the rest. If you can't go out, uh, do some takeout, uh, spread it around a little bit. Um, 
as much as you can because uh, I know myself, I am so sick of washing dishes. I can't stand it anymore. Oh, yeah. I, I, last night I actually walked, and it's just for one. Um, <laughs> sometimes for two, and my dear Renee does the dishes when she comes out here. I'll cook, and she'll, she'll do cooking sometimes, but she does all the dishes, and it's such a nice relief. But I literally looked at my kitchen last night and just let out a big yell. I just right. couldn't. Just didn't feel like doing it. <laughs> you were about to comment too, because you got a family. No, I, was, no I, was, I got a family of four, and, and the, the di- dishes are a struggle. Sometimes actually doing dishes to me is therapeutic, but uh, most of the time it's not. And it's a struggle, not just for me, but you know we try to teach some responsibility to the 12 and 15-year-old. And it's like uh, pulling teeth sometimes just to get them to put a dish away. Like, you're, you know, throw it in the dishwasher there. So I hear this you. This is the time where everybody pulls together. So yeah. Are they, so just are they doing their own laundry? Uh, t- for the most part, I mean, I we yes and no. It's one of those things where you watch them do it and you're like, okay, I got to step in here. So uh, no, it's you a con- don't. It's a I started my kids when they were in first and fourth grade, third yeah. grade, and. I just, I didn't care. <laughs> I taught them how to fold. I didn't sure. care if whites went in with whites. It didn't really matter in the long run, right? So, yep. um, no, they can do it themselves. My philosophy was, and I, it hit me one day while I was folding loads and loads of laundry for them. Yeah. And I thought, well, they're in there playing video games. <laughs> if they can operate a video game controller, that washing machine is not that tough. Sure. They started at a young age, so that's why I ask. I just think now's the time where you guys need a break. Parents are in hell right now with never getting a break from kids, uh, time alone, uh, having to homeschool them practically. Um, so the kids need to step up. I'm not. I, I may be speaking specifically to your kids, but overall, man, kids, you got oh, yeah. you got parents out here. You've always got good advice for me, Chris. I appreciate it. I don't know if that's advice or you want to kill me right now. No, 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 no. I, I, I hear you. I, I know what you're talking about. So. Yeah. It's, and it, by the way, it's good practice for later life because they're going to be doing oh, they're it. Gonna, yeah, they're going to have to do it eventually. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm all in on whatever they can do, even, even if it's sloppy. Uh, it's something I, don't, I didn't have to do. Sure. So. Yeah. You know, and I did it. I did it myself too. So you can split it up amongst the two of you. But you guys are both, uh, you know, working hard on your own businesses, and um, so there's that. Yeah. So speaking of being out of the home, in the home, and without children, this episode uh, is I really enjoyed, and I'd heard about um, Saint Francis uh, PDX through a friend. And much like we had Thomas Boyce on last week, who was doing cooking lasagna at home, taking orders and delivering it throughout Portland. Here's a bakery that's doing the same thing. And more interesting is uh, on Siobhan's website, um, she's got ideas. So, for instance, I just asked her yesterday can you make this and she, for Christmas for a gift? And she said yes. And so you can go on there, see if there are any ideas, and ask her to custom make something for you. And I've got to tell you, it's all beautiful. They're beautiful cakes, cookies. Um, Siobhan used to work at Coquine, went to the Culinary Institute. Uh, she's, got, she's got talent 
when it comes to this. I haven't enjoyed her food yet, but from what I can see on the website and the fact that she did work for Katie making those spectacular coquine cookies and more for quite some time, um, it's beautiful stuff. And it's a pretty cool business idea where she will not only take orders and deliver it throughout Portland, but uh, with adv enough advance notice, you know, you can talk to her and she'll make something specifically for you. So um, I thought it was an interesting conversation how this came about and the fact, uh, you know, I don't know if I focused on her Scottish, ac Scottish accent a little bit much, but she moved here when she was four years old from Scotland or her parents did. She didn't just take off. Right. <laughs> and they moved to Austin, Texas, and she ended up in New York. And then by way of New York, uh, decided with her partner that she wanted to change and I guess it's a change to come from New York to Portland for sure, but yeah. as far as uh, changing it up from where she grew up, Austin, it's fairly close. Um, I mean, it's very different climate-wise, but in terms of the the general psyche, everybody knows that Austin and Portland are kind of sister cities in that regard. So, sure. Um, I really enjoyed my conversation with her. She's fun. Um, it's a kind of a new, she's upbeat in terms of how business is going. And, uh, she also shared with us some of the places that she's going, uh, food carts and pop-ups, um, that would be worthwhile for people to try. So, um, I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, Siobhan Spirits with St. Francis PDX. And that would be on Instagram, S-A-I-N-T dot Francis dot PDX and the website, unlike the uh, the Instagram, you can go right to the website, which is spelled out, no dots this time. Saint Francis PDX, and she ships as well. So if you're not even if you're listening to this from outside, and you know we have listeners in Afghanistan, right? Um, always crazy to think about, but our voices are being heard there. Um, but you can do it too. So if you go to SaintFrancisPDX.com. Spell out the word saint, no dots. Uh, you'll see it all. You'll see her story. And uh, it's all pretty cool, as is uh, this interview that's coming up right now. Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupans.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Erdoneta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. But I spent some time looking at your website, and holy shit, <laughs> your 
um, your pastries and everything you create is so beautiful and so incredible. And I hadn't heard of it yet. So I'm glad to have had the opportunity and I'm really glad to share what you're doing with um, the millions of people listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really appreciate it. I'm super excited. So thanks for having me. Well, no, I, we don't have millions, but we do, we do our best. And so it's been a challenging time. We've had the podcast for seven years now, and it's been a challenging year to find positive stories because for a while we couldn't find them. Mm-hmm. So, or it was just inappropriate to highlight them in the midst of, well, people were having a challenging time, which again is happening one more time. So, um, so uh, from what I hear and see, you're doing well with your online bakery, right? Is that, explain exactly what, what you're doing and how it's worked. Um, yeah, it's worked surprisingly well. Um, I kind of started it on a whim last year and kind of thought I would just sort of bullshit my way through the holidays and make a few pies for friends and then, you know, probably go back and find a restaurant job. And then it kind of took off and then COVID happened. And I was like, I'm screwed because, you know, people are losing their jobs. They're in all kinds of terrible situations. Nobody's going to want to spend money on baked goods. And I, it's actually just kind of turned out to be the opposite. I think people have really wanted that kind of comfort of baked goods and, you know, they can't go to their favorite coffee shop or their favorite cafe or whatever to get it. And so the kind of great thing about my business model is it's, it can be completely contactless. You know, they contact me through email, they tell me what they want. I drop it on their doorstep and that's it. I feel like a magical little like pie fairy that leaves stuff on people's doorsteps <laughs> and you know they never have to actually see me um and in a way i kind of miss that personal interaction um with people that kind of face to face but at the same time it's also really nice to give people that kind of security that it is a really kind of safer business model so well also once you get it launched you don't have all the overhead that you know it's very you wouldn't have been able to do it had you had a big expensive space with all the equipment uh you might have been able to do it but it certainly makes it easier to do it this way yeah it's definitely been it's been amazing i mean i am my only employee so everything from you know taking orders to making the stuff to packing all the stuff that is me and i will say my mom helps me out a lot she's my kind of right hand person she does all the kind of tiny little things that make up a huge difference doing something like this, even just like helping me with dishes, you know, cause it, it really is like a one man band. I don't know if you can see my little setup behind mm-hmm. me, but right now that's where I'm set up. You know, my plan was to get like a proper commissary space and then all of this happened and it's been really crazy. So thankfully I have a partner who is fine with me transforming our kitchen into my own little workshop, but it's really nice having like, I have my own little prep table and my own speed rack, my own, I have my own fridge in the garage. Like it's really, really nice. Well, there are worse things for a partner to deal with rather than the smell of beautiful, wonderful baked goods. Yeah, he gets all kinds of- He can partake in a little bit. He can eat a little of the profits, I would would assume. Yeah, he eats a good amount of the profits sometimes actually. (laughs) <laughs> does he does he do it behind your back or is it uh he's thankfully very forward about it like we'll be sitting on the couch and he'll be like do you have any cookie dough in the freezer that you'd like to bake off and i'm like yeah i mean always there's always something usually for him to eat um 
And yes, he is a very willing taste tester, as is the rest of my family, which bodes well for me because it means I don't have to eat all of it by myself. Yeah, I can't imagine what that would be like as a baker with all the sweets that you're doing. That would be kind of crazy. So that is a good question. How do you not, how does it not get out of control? You've got to taste things, right? It's not like, you know, it's all going, you're not going to spit it out like, you know, a wine taster. I I just try and take like a tiny little, everything that I make, obviously you always want to taste because you never know. Maybe you put salt instead of sugar. Maybe you put too much baking soda, whatever. You always want to taste it because you just never know. Um, So I always try and take at least a small bite. And like, while I do this for a living, sweets are not something I crave like all the time. I'm not a huge sweets person. Like it, it definitely, um, I'm not someone who like the thing I want is dessert all the time. And thankfully my boyfriend is a chef, so he cooks all the time. So usually what I want is his stuff and what he wants is my stuff. So it kind of works out. Um, but I do, I generally, if it's one thing I can't resist is a chocolate chip cookie. I will never say no to a chocolate chip cookie. No, I don't think I've ever said no to one standing right in front of me. If someone hands me one. Um, yeah. There, uh, that's so. What is your favorite thing to to make, or what do you think? Do you have a signature item that that you've developed already? Because it hasn't been very long. It has. I know it hasn't been very long. Um, I would say my it kind of changes. My favorite thing to make, my favorite dessert to make, is pavlova, um, which is this like meringue dessert, and it's like crispy on the outside and like marshmallowy on the inside, and you can top it with whatever you want, basically. My mom used to make them when I was a kid and I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Um, So that's probably my favorite dessert to make, but I do love to make cookies. um, And I think the cookies have really taken off. Last Christmas, I made this um, double chocolate peppermint crinkle cookie and it was like Mm. ridiculously good. And so that one has kind of erupted. So that's one of my holiday cookies. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't say I have like a signature before I started, I would have said I wasn't all that confident making cakes like decorating cakes. And now I felt as I've gone on and more and more people have been ordering cakes, I've kind of found a style that really works for me. And because I'm not particularly artistic. And I think people assume because of what I do, I'm really artistic, but I'm not really artistic in the classical sense. Like I can't draw for shit. Like at all. Right, but you listen, the first time I laid eyes on your website that had all your pastries, my eyes jumped out because <laughs> it's all not because it's all cakes, but because it was all so beautiful. You do such a, a wonderful job and you're you can just see in the span of three seconds, you're you're very talented at what you do, no matter how it tastes. I'm sure it's delicious. <laughs> but so before we go much further, we should s- t- tell everybody we probably will have already done this in the intro, but it doesn't hurt to tell people again. Where, where, what is your website and where do people find you? It is So my website is stfrancispdx.com, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, and then my Instagram, which is probably where I get most of my traffic through, is saint.francis.pdx, which is all lowercase again. And how did you get traction there? Because, as, you know, you, you got to get traction to start having people order. We just uh, had an interview with Thomas Boyce, um, who started Lasagna Project PDX. Oh, yeah, I've heard about him. 
Yeah, so he's doing pretty much what you're doing. He's delivering. <laughs> so I ordered a lasagna when I was in Portland, and it was kind of a strange thing because we're meeting up via mask and maybe doing elbow bumps, but that's it. It was like it was the lasagna, um, lasagna phantom in the middle of the night, dropping it off and then taking off. So it's a similar thing. But he's gotten enough traction now where he's selling a lot of lasagna. How did you generate that kind of traction? Um, well, I originally started the page as a blog. Um, I love to write. It's always been kind of like a fun hobby of mine. And so before it was St. Francis, it was actually called Body by Croissant. Um, and I have, I don't know if you can see this bookshelf behind me. That's like a small portion of our cookbooks that we own. Yeah. And so I decided that before I would let myself buy a new book, I had to bake one recipe from every book that I own because there's some books that I own that I've never even used. Um, and so there's a movie called Julia and Julia, which is the same kind of premise. Fantastic. Yeah, great movie. Um, so I decided I was going to do that and I was going to blog about it. And it was really fun. Um, and then it sort of slowly morphed into once I started the business, I just switched over the page. And thankfully here, most of the people that I know are restaurant people, people that I've worked with or people that I've worked for. And so that's how it kind of started growing. Um, and it's it was a really slow build, I would say, up until a couple of months ago. Um, I used to work for Katie Millard at Coquine. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to make some uh, rocket ship uh, cookies for her son's birthday. And she posted about them on her Instagram story. And I would say I got almost 200 followers from that. I mean, over, like overnight. Wow. Uh, it was the most traffic I had seen to my website. And I was just like this is insane. And I owe so much to her because she's been a really strong advocate for me and she's been super supportive of me. Um, so I would say from that point, it's been more of a rapid growth. Um, and I've through doing orders for people, they spread the word, you know, and people post about it on their story and then someone else will see it. So it's been, it's kind of crazy. I keep having to remind myself that the people that are looking at my Instagram aren't just like my mom and my sister and my friends, you know, it's like strangers, like people that don't know me. So sometimes I, I like have to remind myself that I might not come across the same way to them as I would necessarily to someone that knows me. Well, you can be yourself and you know, you, you, as you be, as you generate more success, you have the ability not to worry about what people think as much. And what's really all that matters as far as business is concerned is that you're, you're selling, but I, your personality obviously come, has to come through in what you're making and what you're doing. And your personality also was instrumental in Katie supporting you, right? I mean, and your talent, of course. <laughs> so, um, but so those things, you just got to be, I believe, you just need to be yourself on Instagram and not worry yeah. about it. Although I, I share, personally, I share more personal things on Facebook than I do on Instagram because I have thousands of people I don't know there. Yeah. So, you know, we don't yeah, need fair enough. Um, that's something I've always tried to, to do is just to stay in myself because at the end of the day, like it's just cakes and it's just cookies. And I just think it's the coolest thing in the world that people want to pay me to make them really tasty stuff. Like what cool job, you know? And I always just try and remind myself of that when I'm feeling frustrated or tired or stressed out, you know, like I really have such a cool job and such a, cool opportunity to bring a small little bit of joy to someone. So I always just try and keep that in my mind. And also just like, it's not worth it if you're not having fun, you know, like what's the point in doing it if you're not having a good time? Well, also, you know, you're in a, 
things are changing by the day now, but you're in a pretty competitive spot when it comes to food. I used to say there's absolutely no dearth of opportunities to eat in Portland. You can't, I, I used to go into brain freeze, couldn't even decide on anything because there are so many choices. Now, I mean, things are changing rapidly and it's very sad, but, um, but you did come, when you came to Portland, I'm sure you were coming for the opportunities that existed and you probably never envisioned what was ha what's happening now. And that's everywhere. So, um, so how do you feel about Portland now? And what, and also what brought you here? Um, I love Portland. Um, my, so my aunt and uncle have lived here for about 10 years. And so I've been to visit them a few times and I always really liked it. And I thought it was somewhere that I could see myself ending up. Um, but I grew up in Austin, Texas. And if you've ever been to Austin, Texas, I find Portland and Austin really similar to each other. You're and not the first one. And by the <laughs> way, that, that Texas accent that you're sporting is just, is just beautiful. I, t I know my Texas accent. Yeah, <laughs> most of the time I actually do speak with an American accent, just out of habit. I've done it since I was a kid, but I actually feel more like myself when I use the Scottish one. So I'm trying to kind of incorporate it into my life a bit more. And I also do it when I'm nervous because I feel like then people just kind of focus on my accent and they're not really focusing on what I'm saying or they're focusing on me. Um, but I do love the word y'all. That is one of my favorite words of all time. Um, but I was living in, in Texas. I'd lived in Texas pretty much my whole life and I, I wanted to move. And so I considered moving here. This was like five, six years ago. And I thought I want to go somewhere that's totally different than where I am now. So I ended up in New York City, um, lived and worked in New York City for four years. And it was the best thing in the entire world. I loved it. I was so sad when we left, but also was excited because we were moving here. Um, but New York became a home to me that I never, ever imagined. And I worked in some amazing places. I met my partner there. Um, so we'd been there for about four years. And, you know, we started talking about the future and what we wanted. And obviously, the kind of goal for us is to end up doing something together. And in New York, it's just so, it's basically impossible. Um, to, to open a restaurant or open something and be successful. And, you know, we'd like to buy a house and, you know, we both love the city, <clears throat> but we both also like being outdoors and being in beautiful places. And New York is beautiful in its own way. Don't get me wrong, but we kind of just wanted something a bit more normal. Living in New York is not a normal life by any means. So my sister had been living in New York for about 10 years. And she had told me after a couple of years that her and her now husband were moving to Portland. And I was like, hmm, interesting. I think I said I was moving to Portland first, but that's fine. Uh, and then a couple of months later, my mom and dad, who were still in Texas, were like, well, we're also going to move to Portland. And I was like, what the? Okay. And so I am really close with my family. They Now they all live. My sister lives literally around the corner. My mom and dad live just down the road. Um, I was like, I want to live near my family. You know, we hadn't all lived together in the same place in a really, really long time. And so thankfully, you know, my partner was all for coming out this you know out west um and so yeah we moved out here and we've loved it um it's obviously now it's been a really terrible year but you know we've met some really really wonderful people and wonderfully talented people who are still doing really cool stuff through all of this and i think that's been really inspiring to see hey chris let's pause just a moment here in the podcast talk about one of our favorite places to eat ringside steakhouse 
where right now, of course, they had set up a wonderful outdoor dining situation. And now we can't dine indoors or outdoors, but what you can do uh, is enjoy takeout from ringside. So if you're in the mood for a hearty steak or even prime rib, they have three course steak dinners to go five nights a week, starting at only $38 per person. And, uh, you know, for ringside steaks, that's fantastic. So go to their website and see what that's all about. You can uh, uh, order to go uh, and you can find them on DoorDash and Caviar or directly there. Call for pickup uh, starting at 3.30 and pick it up until 7.30. Start it, um, at 503-223-1513. That's 503-223-1513 at ringside for a great pickup uh, opportunity for to eat wonderfully tonight or tomorrow night or the next night starting on Wednesday. They're open Wednesday through Sunday. That's right. The, the, those are the five days a week. And we should also point out that, uh, you know, you're talking about the things you can get on a regular day. They also have some really great holiday meal kits. So whether it be for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah down the road, why not let Ringside Steakhouse be part of your holiday celebrations just in your own house instead of theirs? That's, that's great. The ser- well, we'll hope the service can be anywhere near as good as it is at ringside at home, but I don't think so. But that's okay. It's only, they started only $38. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Also, one other thing you can do is, uh, of course, great holiday gift idea, uh, ringside gift cards. Those you can buy and those serve a few purposes. They're a great idea to give someone um, who will not be able to wait to go out to dinner after this is all said and done right. and also help support ringside who, um, you know, they've been going this through this for eight months. It can't have been easy. And, uh, it, uh, it's something you can do to support restaurants do that anywhere. But, um, thank you again for ringside for supporting this podcast for years now. Appreciate At- it. Absolutely. So if you want to find out all about the uh, to-go food, uh, head on over to ringsidesteakhouse.com. Well, I may as well ask right now, because I would probably normally ask at the end, but as long as you mentioned it, who, what have you been enjoying throughout the pandemic? Are there places that you've been picking up at or going to, or are there anybody you, you yeah. would like to give a shout out to? Um, I would love to give a shout out to our friends, Colin and Aaron. They just opened a food cart called Ruthie's. Um, it's behind our friend's bar called Someday, which is also fantastic. They make incredible cocktails off a of division. Uh, and they have a little pod of food carts back there. And our friends just opened up their food cart and their food is fantastic. I think they're calling it like Mormon funeral food, but it's inspired by, they both grew up in Utah and it's like the stuff their grandmas would make, but obviously with like a really seasonal local twist and their food is just, it's stupidly good. It's really, really good. There are only two places that I know of that could that could coin their food Mormon funeral food, and that would probably be Austin and Portland. So. Yeah, I know it's very. I know I read that. I was like, this is a very Portland thing. Yeah, but they're both great guys, and they just they. I love their story. They've been best friends since they were kids, and they both worked. My partner was the chef at Ava Jean's for a long time, and um, so they all worked together. So it's just really cool to see people you know like doing successful things, especially now you know right. in a normal time period but especially in this like dumpster fire of a year to see people just take an opportunity and run with it and do really well has been really cool 
Um, my boyfriend and I are also addicted to Jojo, the food cart Jojo. Um, we have to actively stop ourselves from going there at least once a week. Um, their food is ridiculously good and they have one of the best Instagrams I've ever seen personally. Um, but yeah, those have been two, they've been highlights. Uh, we have a couple friends that run a pizza pop-up called No Saint uh, out of Dame um, in Northeast Portland and they make uh, Sicilian style like grandma pizza and it's some of the best pizza I've ever had. It's so good. Oh, that, what is it? No Saint? No Saint, yeah, No Saint. Um, it's our friends Gabby and Anthony and they also have an amazing uh, wine selection to choose from. You can get bottles of wine to go. So they're doing that. Well, I don't know what's going on with Dame, but when um, when Patrick McKee is in, in his kitchen doing I his. Think they, I think Dame is open on the weekends right now. So I think Gabby and Anthony do like Monday, Tuesday nights. They do their pop up. Um, it's it is seriously some of the best pizza I've ever had. They've been doing this um, like Allium pizza with leeks and shallots and onions. And it's just so good. It's really it's really, really fantastic. Oh, that's good to hear. And it's good. You know, the food carts are pretty well positioned right now in terms of, uh, you know, success. It's got to be, I can't speak for them, but I would imagine you know, that's the model that's working now is takeout. Yeah, so, yeah definitely. Um, that can work. So do you have any industry friends who, I mean, I'm heartbroken for the, the closure right now after everybody just put together their outdoor plans yeah. and, and even outdoor plans to succeed throughout a, to figure out a way to use them during the winter yep. and then have to shut them down. It's, um, it's heartbreaking and it's terrible to see. So, um, now have you been in touch with some of the folks when, for, for instance, at Coquine and so forth? I have. Yeah. Um, Katie has, she's been really amazing. She's ordered like if someone has asked them for a cake or whatever, she usually just will ask me if I'll do it. Um, so I see her on a fairly regular basis, but as far as I know, they've the the way they've been able to pivot their their operation has been really awesome. Um, because right before the shutdown, they they were planning to expand um, and you know expand in a big way, and so they've been able to take the space that they were going to expand with and turn that into kind of like their CSA headquarters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right. been really really beneficial for them. Um, and they've done you know because they're in kind of a out of the way like it's not a place you would just happen to like wander by you know it's not like on division where you would just be like walking down the street maybe looking in some shops and you'd be like oh what's this restaurant you know you it's kind of a a destination but her food is so ridiculously good that it's worth going to that destination and i think she's built up a really um strong following of people who have eaten her food for years and you know, have followed the growth of the restaurant from when they started to where they are now. And, you know, she's really open with who she is and her family and she shares a lot of that. And I think that's really beneficial because I think it, it just kind of makes people feel like they know you, even if they don't, you know? Right. Um, and so- They're both Sandak and Katie are just, have been, they've been wonderful to me and, you yeah. know, people, people love them. So, and speaking of cookies, I mean, she does some pretty incredible she does, yes, the cocaine cookie, I know. It's, um, it is iconic, it's iconic for a reason. Um, I made, I mean, I probably couldn't even tell you the, I couldn't put a number on how many of those cookies that I made, but I remember the first time I ever like, it's not necessarily the making them that's, that's the, I think what makes them special, it's the way that they're baked, I think that makes them extra special. And I remember the first time I ever baked them just thinking like, I, I'm literally handling like an iconic piece of food right now, like I better not fuck it up. Um, 
But yeah, once uh-huh. you bait a couple thousand, you kind of get the hang of it. <laughs> uh, then how, uh, let me ask you this, how do you, um, if when you're baking your own chocolate chip cookies, how do you avoid the temptation to say, well, this is perfect, these were great, let me just go with these. I know you have to do your own, but it's gotta be very difficult to say, I'm gonna do something different because, how do you do it? Do you either, because you love what you're doing or you're doing the best you can to avoid doing those? I think it's just, I think that cookie is is really specific and I won't give away any of her secrets, but it is a very specific recipe and there are things about that recipe that would set it apart from like a regular chocolate chip cookie. And I would say my chocolate chip cookie is definitely a bit more like, you know, a cookie that your grandma might make um, with a, I like to add my own little like kind of chefy, I, I hate that word, but like chefy twist to my cookie to kind of elevate it a bit. But there are things about her cookie that just take it to that next level that I don't think you really could replicate in a home setting. You wouldn't, I don't think you would have the same result. And it's also something that's really special. So when you go and you get one or you order one, you feel like you're having this kind of special experience with this very special cookie. I mean, not a lot of restaurants have the balls to put a chocolate chip cookie on their dessert menu. Not many places would do that. Right. But the question really was, how do you, you're making the best possible chocolate chip cookie that you can. So how do you avoid not going there? I think that's just that there's actually been a kind of a big debate going on. Um, someone started this Instagram page and they're posting recipes from restaurants and they're trying to make it appear as if these recipes were given to them voluntarily, but most of the time they weren't. And so I am a great believer in just respecting the recipe in the place that it is. Like I would never take that from her because I know how hard she worked to develop that recipe. And I know what that, that recipe means to her. And so I would never attempt to bake that recipe or bake something similar because it just seems kind of disrespectful. Like she made that cookie and it's so good, but I can make a cookie that's good in a different way. If that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's, I would, I would find that to be, I mean, my, I, I don't bake for a living. I don't cook very well, but I would find it to be, geez, that was so good. Why don't I just do that? So that's why I asked the question. So do you, would I be putting you on the spot to ask uh, some of, and, and it's Portland and or Austin, so it's okay to do this. It's kosher. Would I put, be putting you on the spot to ask you where your favorite croissants and donuts are in Portland? Because you make those. So. Yeah. Um, let me have, let me think. I, a couple of, like, actually, was it last year or the year before, a coworker of mine and I decided that we were going to go on kind of a trek around to different places in Portland to try their croissants. I think my favorite croissant was at, um, I think it's called Jinju Patisserie. It's off of Northeast Williams. Mm-hmm. And they do, I've only had their croissants, but I follow them on Instagram. They do absolutely gorgeous, like Japanese inspired patisserie and their tarts just look like works of art, like just on a level that I don't know if anyone else here in Portland could do. So their croissant was probably my favorite. It's huge. It's like the size of your head, but Mm -hmm. it's also really light. So you you don't feel like you're eating this giant. I mean, it's like buttery and indulgent, but you're not like, oh my God, I'm eating this huge thing. It's just so good that you're just like, and you'll eat the whole thing in like three bites. Um, my favorite donut. I actually haven't had that many donuts here. Um, I always, to get to my mom and dad's house, you have to pass Pip's original. And there's always a, there's always a, a line like way, way down the block. And I just, most of the time, like, even if it wasn't COVID, I just like, can't be fucked standing in a line for that long. Um, 
but there's a donut place just down the street from me called Annie's that that's like looks like kind of old school and we've been we've only lived in this place for a couple of weeks um but we've been meaning to try it so donuts I can't necessarily say but my favorite um my favorite croissant is from Jinju Patisserie have you ever tried it's on the it's not convenient to you but Baker and Spice's whole wheat croissant which at face value hearing that I would never think that would make a great croissant but it's got a little bit of everything on it and that would be my suggestion i will i'm gonna i'll keep that one in mind for sure that's one of my favorite now the other thing about you know you mentioned pizza but also croissants you spent some time in france how nice was it to have a croissant for a buck oh you know, my god it was like life life changing the only thing was so everyone told us before we went they were like if you you know because i don't we don't speak french um they were like even if you like attempt, they're way more receptive to. And so when we traveled abroad, I was like, I'm only going to talk with my American or with my Scottish accent because I feel like people really look down on Americans. And I mean, my partner is American, but I was like, I'm just going to go with the Scottish accent because maybe that will make me a bit more like appealing. Mm-hmm. And they were like, if you attempt French, they're way more receptive and they'll be way friendlier to you. So I was like, OK, so like I looked up a couple of things on my phone and I practiced whatever. And the first time we went in to order croissant, the order the croissants, the lady just looked at me like I was just the stupidest person she'd ever met. And I just kind of stammered out my order and she just gave it to me and like put her hand out for the money. And I was like, okay, thank you. Goodbye. And ran out. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, uh, their pastries are no joke. I had the best Queen Amon of my life in Paris. And I think about it on a regular basis. Yeah, it's a it's a little different over there, but yeah, you know, there's uh, while they've been doing what they do for hundreds, thousands, who knows, years. That they are regarded as the best of the best because it was some of the best shit I've ever had in my life. Right. No, it's uh, and I, I particularly just remember just marveling at uh, going because right now if I go in and get four croissants with a tip that's twenty dollars mm-hmm. right and maybe a coffee there i would come out with shopping bags full of food we could not eat you know but it was so oh give me two of those give me four of those give me so anyway that's yeah it's uh, dangerous also the wine being so cheap also dangerous well the, that's all over europe it, and yeah. to me i'm not a big wine lover it makes the the wine experience knowing that it's so inexpensive in uh, Europe, most of it. Uh, it makes the wine experience here kind of strange for me, but I won't go into that. That's not what we were here to talk about. Um, but uh, so uh, you also, uh, have you brought any of your, what, what were you doing in New York when you were in, when you were there? So four years of experience there. Um, so actually right above my computer is a print of the, so the first job I had and the job I had for the longest in New York was at this place called the Wythe Hotel in Brooklyn, uh, in this restaurant called Reynard. And a couple of years ago, my boyfriend got me a print of the hotel. And so it's hanging right above my computer. So it feels fitting that you're asking me that question. Um, but yeah, so I got a job working in Reynard. Um, and because it was a hotel, you know, we only, we not only had the restaurant, we also did events. So there was a kitchen upstairs for the restaurant and a kitchen downstairs for events. And it had like a small galley pastry kitchen. So we did a little bit of everything. We did plated desserts. We did morning pastries. We did wedding cakes. We did all kinds of stuff. Um, It's definitely the most unique job I've ever had. And it probably is my favorite job I've ever had. That job brought a lot of really good things into my life um, and a really lot of really good people into my life. 
Um, I also worked at a French bakery um, that was kind of deeper into Brooklyn for a while. And my last job before we moved was at a really tiny pie shop uh, called the Blue Stove that I also loved. So I felt like I had a really good, like well-rounded kind of pastry journey in New York. Um, Not what I had thought would happen when I moved there. I had my plan for when I moved there and my plan and then what actually happened could not have been more different, but it also was exactly, I think, what was supposed to happen. And what did an Austin girl, what was your impression of New York City when you first got there? And then um, you still, would you still recommend to anybody that they go there for a certain period of their lives? Yes. Yes. It's like an emphatic yes. If you have the chance to go to New York and live there, I cannot recommend it enough. And truly, if I can survive, anyone can survive. Um, It is the most special, amazing place and it will change your life. And I would, yes, absolutely recommend anyone to go and live there. Um, But I had actually been, so uh, the first time I went to culinary school was actually at the Culinary Institute, which is in upstate New York, which is in, it's in Poughkeepsie, which no offense to anyone from Poughkeepsie, but it's a shit hole. It is not a fun, not a very fun place. Um, I was also super young. I went straight out of high school and I was not ready to live like that far away from home or anyone that I knew. And so my sister was living in the city at the time. So I would take the train down to see her. So I'd been to the city before and we'd been to visit my sister over the years. Um, But moving there, I I had like a different, I felt really differently towards the city. I was really scared because it's scary. Um, You know, my, when my parents (laughs) took me to the airport, my mom was like, you have to stay there for a year. She was like, you can't come back for a year. She was like, you just have to survive for one year and I was like I don't know if I can do it you know and as it turned out none of my friends did either they had all placed bets on uh when I would be back in Austin most of them had mm-hmm. me back within six months so it was nice to prove them wrong um but- did you did you get to win eight times the bet since you made it for <laughs> well I guess I guess kind of because anytime I went back to Austin they would all just buy me loads of drinks so I guess that was kind of my way of winning the bet. And they all got to come and visit me in New York, which benefited them greatly. So, um, And it helped, it helped. They thought it would help you forget the bet, too. Yeah, exactly. No, I will never forget that. I will never <laughs> forget the first time I came home and they were like, so you really love it. I was like, oh, yeah. It's like, you know, going on and on. And they were all like looking at each other. And I was like, what's what's going on? They were like, well, we all bet with each other on how long you would last. I was like, you guys are terrible friends. Um. But so yeah, how, how long did it take you for you to develop? How long were you before you moved to Austin as a kid? Where you developed your accent? I'm curious as to how um, that. I was four when we moved to Austin, and okay. um, yeah, I was about four years old. Um, my mom and so my mom and dad obviously lived in Scotland in Glasgow their whole life. They they grew up like 20 minutes apart, but they have completely different accents. Like they sound like they're from completely different parts of Scotland, but they're actually just from different parts of the same city. Um, so they speak with Scottish accents all the time. My dad does a really horrendous attempt at an American accent, but they they can't switch. But because we were so young, my sister's four years older than me, because we were so young and because we went to school and we were around people that had American accents, I think we just learned really quickly how to kind of switch back and forth. Because I think when you're a kid, you want to just like fit in and be like everybody else. And I already have a weird enough name so I was like, I'm going to do this American accent. So everyone thinks that I'm, you know, just like them. Uh, but my, so my mom and dad have always had it. All, most of my extended family still lives in Scotland. So Scotland's been a huge part of my life. And I think that's part of why I've always kind of kept 
the accent. And like I said, I, I do, I feel more like myself when I use it. Like when I speak in the American accent, I'm really aware of the sound of my voice. Mm-hmm. And I feel really bad for people <laughs> to like listen to that, to that sound, but. Oh, no one likes the sound of their voice. Uh, it, yeah. It's it's almost universal. So let me ask you um, to explain in, in in your best American accent. Just this, just this. Tell me what it's like to have to explain to everybody or most everybody how you pronounce Siobhan. Oh, that's a fun one. Um, so, but it has to be in your best American accent. Okay. Um, I'm uh, okay. All right. Here we go. So I always start, so I always know that it's like me that they're looking for because like, say we're at a doctor's office, they'll come out with the little thing and they'll kind of look and then they'll look around and then they'll look down and you can see the like panic. You can see the wheels turning. And I always know that it's, it's rare that it's anybody else. So I'll always, they'll always be like, you know, seal, seal or what, you know, Chobin. I have every way you can pronounce my name. People are really apologetic, but it's like, I've heard them all. It doesn't offend me. My name is weird. It's not common. Um, so I'll always say, I'll always explain that it's spelled with a B, but it's said with a V, which just makes it even more confusing. Um, so it, there's, it's a little bit of a process. Um, you know, people always ask me like, where's your name from? Or how did you end up with your name? And like, obviously being born in Scotland, it's a very common name there. And my parents had no idea that we would move to the States when I was five. Um, and uh, I hated it when I was a kid. I wanted to change my name on my 13th birthday, um, but I love it now. But yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a, a process. Um, I usually just tell them to go with the phonetic. Um, but yeah, it's, it's- Well, it shows how provincial we are in the United States because it is really common. I just made dear friends with uh, a woman with that name over the past couple of years. And I remember I didn't, it took me a while to know how to pronounce it. So we, there are not a lot of you who moved here to give us that practice. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's really common there. So, um, and by the way, great, very interesting to hear you with a complete American accent. On some of your words, there's just still a little of the Scottish that comes yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I feel like it always kind of like fights its way through. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely it's it's a challenge sometimes. But I love it now because like once people know it, they tend not to forget it. So I feel like it it kind of helps you be a little bit more memorable to people. Right. Well, I think so too. Yeah, it definitely stands out. And then, how do you pronounce your last name? Last name is Spirits. So the it's very simple. Yeah, the e, it's very, is so it's the e that throws people off. Yeah, it's right. the e that gets people. But yeah, Spirits. So. Um, yeah, I always thank my parents for the, I was, my go-to joke is, um, oh yeah, my parents gave me the double whammy. That's usually what I say or something along those lines. And it usually makes people laugh. So. Yeah. But at, at least with spirits, it's really easy to just say it and it's over with because yeah. no one, no one has to, you know, Siobhan is different because you have to really think of it and it doesn't look like that. So yeah, whenever I, I'm telling someone the name on the phone, they'll be like, like if I'm ordering something, they're like, what's the name? And I'll say it's Siobhan. And there's always like a, a good pause. And I'm like, I can spell it for you if you want. And they're always like, yes, please, God, please, please spell it for me. <laughs> well, so um, do, have you, how long have you been in Portland now? How long has it been? Uh, about two years, just over like two and a half years. Have you had the opportunity to get out and explore this beautiful state we call Oregon? Yes, we have. Thankfully, um, my partner and my family are all fairly into doing a good bit of exploring. So yeah, we've been been to the coast a ton. Love, love the coast. Um, 
where else have we been down uh kind of bend we spent a couple we spent like a week in sun river um which was awesome i had never bend was not at all what i was expecting i think i just assumed it would be just like the rest of oregon really green and lush and it actually reminded me a lot of um i lived in arizona as a kid for a couple of years it reminded me a lot of arizona um mm-hmm. where in arizona uh in phoenix okay I think I would, I think Awatuki was the name of the place that we lived oh, at yeah, really yeah. Um, when we lived there. I remember, I remember that well. Yep, Awatuki. I was in third and fourth grade when we lived there, so I don't remember too much about it. Um, I think Bend is a little more, I, I think, like Tucson, but without the, without the, yeah. without the, well, Tucson's on a, in a valley too. But um, yeah, it feels more like that than Phoenix. Everybody brought their lawn from the Midwest and, uh, <laughs> And uh, I always felt it was kind of a, just a grid with lawns. It felt very artificial to me. It's beautiful. Parts of it are beautiful, but living there felt like I was living in an artificial. It wasn't meant to be because there wasn't enough water for people to survive. Yeah. And then bring the Central Arizona project in. So Bend is is a lot more organic and natural, and it's beautiful. So yeah, we went out to um, Joseph as well earlier this summer, yeah. which was so amazing. I mean, it's a trek to get out there, um, but we, yeah, we have actually have a couple of friends that own a restaurant uh, in the Jennings Hotel out there, and so we went out. We camped for a couple of nights and then we stayed in the Jennings and it's such a cool, such a cool place and the surrounding area is amazing. Um, spent a lot of time at Wallawa Lake, which was beautiful. Um, yeah. Did you get out to the Snake River, to the, to jo- to the canyon? We, so we tried to go to this um, swimming oh. pool um, that they had told us about and then we, we all ended up getting really lost on the way. So we just ended up taking like a five hour basically five hour really long drive down a dirt road but it was really beautiful because yeah you're looking at all these mountains and canyons and everything um so there's worse places to get lost um but yeah joseph was super cool um not, yeah, not what I was ways. i'm sorry my impression of the Wallawas was you know i had been here for a few years and discovered the coast and bend and crater lake and southern oregon and then when I got to the Wallawas, I thought, holy shit, no one even told me about this. Yeah, I had no idea that that was, that, that was all out there. I had no, yeah. no idea whatsoever. So, and, and there's a reason. It's a little more difficult to get to. And as you said, you tried to get somewhere and got lost. And that's kind of the idea. It's, that's, that's one of the uh, nice things. If you ever get a chance, I don't know what's going to happen with it, especially what happened in the coronavirus, but there's a place called the Rimrock Inn up about 35 miles north of Joseph, uh, in the middle of nowhere on a canyon. And those folks have struggled. You know, they have a two-month season up there. So they, everybody who's tried it has struggled. But let's see what happens coming out of it. But it's a that's a really special spot, too. So what do you foresee? Um, do you – are you – it's hard to project right now. It's impossible. <laughs> So are you projecting a year out or two years out, COVID or no COVID, um, on what your business might look like and what you might, what your life might look like? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it is really hard to project because it's just like, you just don't know when things will go back to, I mean, normal. I mean, what what is normal? You know, what will normal even be now? You know, it's not like people keep saying they want things to go back to the way they were before all this, but things can't go back to the way they were before all this because that's kind of how we ended up where we are. Um, so I think the new normal will be an entirely different experience for most people and especially for restaurant people. You know, my boyfriend and I were talking about, you know, you said food carts kind of have the ideal situation right now. And I think that will be 
the kind of way forward for a long time is people wanting to eat at food carts, you know, who knows when the next time you'll be able to go and sit down in a restaurant is. And that makes me kind of sad because that's something my family and I do on a weekly basis. We would go out to all these different restaurants in Portland and try all these different places and different food. And you know, you don't have that and it sucks. And like, you can get takeout from them and so you can still support them, but you, you know, you're missing that experience. And so it's kind of hard to think about, but like my partner and I would love to eventually open up like a little cafe kind of thing, like super small, breakfast lunch kind of thing and we talked a long time about having a restaurant but we've both kind of moved away from that it's just not something that even before covid we kind of were like this is not the way that we want to live our life you know because it just takes i mean it takes everything from you to run a restaurant and in scotland there's a lot a lot of there's a really strong they call it cafe culture there's a lot of little amazing tiny cafes there and so i think we kind of want to emulate that sort of vibe um, but I mean, we, you know, we talked about trying to do something this year and then this was last year we talked about doing it and then all of this happened and we kind of were like, thank God that we didn't really pursue it because we wouldn't have survived, you know, and I'm very lucky to have been as successful as I've been through all this. I know that's not the case for most people, but um, yeah, I, the dream is to have a little cafe and just sell like really tasty food and really tasty pastries. And it's just something like simple and and cute and cozy and you know somewhere in a neighborhood you know we, we love the idea of having like a, a neighborhood spot um that people can go to but yeah i don't i mean two i would say it would be at least two two years maybe three before we even considered doing it and being able to do it well it gives you a couple of years to hone <laughs> what you're doing now and figure out what might be more uh successful from a consumer standpoint and also from a the numbers you know what works for you um so how many things do you have on your website at any given time like how many things can you prepare in that kitchen over a, a more than you think actually more than you'd think um now honestly the biggest game changer that i've had so last so last thanksgiving i think i did like 20 something pies i all i had was a four and a half quart kitchenaid mixer and we lived in an apartment where we had one fridge and bless Taylor, my partner, he just was like, you know, didn't mind that the fridge was just crammed full of pies and stuff. So I got this, the speed rack a couple of weeks ago and someone had, someone ordered 30 pies for me. And I was like, this is going to be a great like indicator of like the capacity of my kitchen and what I can do. And I have a bigger mixer. And now that I have those things, I'm like, how the hell did I get through the holidays last year? especially making cookies with just this tiny mixer. I have no idea how me and that little pistachio mixer got through it, but we did. Um, but yeah, no, it's worked out really well so far. Um, it's been, it makes it feel a bit more like a professional kitchen. And I think it's a lot easier to work kind of in that environment than it necessarily is to work like just at your house, if that makes sense. Like it makes me feel like I'm in a restaurant and I'm in a kitchen and I'm doing work and I'm like clocked in and doing this. So it does definitely help me keep focused um, a bit more, so. So my friend, uh, Carrie Jismagian is the one who introduced us and told I me. I mean, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, she's great. And so she had said, she told me your apple cider and then she added, she added the, uh, the asterisk vinegar after that it's actually not it's actually um uh baird family orchard is their apple cider which i boiled down for like a couple of hours so it's super reduced 
And it's that and some spices. It's basically like if an apple pie and a custard tart had a baby. That's kind of what it tastes like. Okay, and you're going to have that through the holidays. Too. Yeah, I'll have that through the holidays. So the the, well, the thing with the website is it's more just like a general, I don't want, I never want people to think that they're only limited to what's on the website. Because when I first started, I think people thought that. But now that I've kind of built the Instagram up and people can look at the Instagram or whatever, they're not necessarily thinking they're just kind of beholden to what's on the website. That's just to kind of give people like a general idea of things that people have ordered from me more regularly than others. But so um, the custom orders is what you're saying. So just okay. write you. Wow. Yeah, do a ton I, of I got something in mind too. So it's going to happen. I need something for Christmas that I've seen <laughs> on your website. So you're getting an order for that from me. And Carrie, wow, it's coming down like you can't believe here at the coast right now. The rain. We, we got thank you, by the way, for recording this earlier than we planned because I'm losing power any minute. Yeah. Where, where are you at the coast? I'm in Manzanita. Oh, I love Manzanita. I was just there last week, like two weekends ago. It's the best. And I've been here for seven years now, so or six years, coming up on seven. I start my seventh, but it's fantastic. But she said, oh, you're going to love Siobhan, and she'll probably deliver cookies to you. And I said, in Manzanita? And, of course, she backed off on that. But... um, that would be my furthest delivery to date, but I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't say no to a little jaunt down the coast. My mom and dad are actually trying to buy a house in Manzanita. Um, so it could be that one day I'll be there and you could be like, hey, I need some cookies and I'll just bake them at my parents' house and just drop them off to you. That would be fantastic, but I wouldn't, I also wouldn't mind stretching your boundaries and having you have your longest delivery when you happen to be on your way out here. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I can't, I'm in Portland here and there, so I can pick them up there. But um but so people would go and just see what you've done and say, hey, I would like one of those and you'll do it. That's yeah. pretty cool. I'm not saying that that's exactly how it works, but I, I'm supposing from my standpoint, the layman's standpoint. There's a few um, things that are kind of like with, you know, beyond my capabilities. And I'm not above saying like, I just, you know, like I can't do that. That is one thing I've really like, I've learned about myself is just to know my limits, but I've also the last year I've said yes to things that I never thought I could be able to do or would be able to do. And that's been really amazing for me is to kind of push myself creatively and, you know, to learn new skills. But yeah, there's definitely things that are like out of my comfort zone, but um, yeah, I pretty much I'm, I'm game for pretty much anything. Well, that sounds, that sounds uh, fantastic. Last question. Um, I mean, that's exciting to me that you're game for anything that someone orders. I think that's fantastic. So last question is, why is it that I got so addicted to the the British baking show? Um, Because it's the greatest show of all time. I am obsessed with it. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm deeply, deeply obsessed with it. I think the thing about it is it's so different from any American cooking show. Like American cooking shows are all like, fire and brimstone and screwing each other over and everyone's panicked and everyone's freaking out and the bake-off like their shit could be like burning to the ground and they're just sat there with like a cup of tea being like oh well i did my best you know it's so soothing and like calm and everybody's nice and everybody helps each other um it is the best i watch it actually watched a couple episodes last night i watch it all the time um are you re-watching the episodes do you watch the I've had so like many, many, many times, probably too many. My, my partner makes fun of me all the time for it. Um, cause he's not as into it as I am. And I really desperately wish he was, but he's not, but thankfully the rest of my family is like pretty into it. So, uh, yeah, we love it. It's just a really like soothing, fun kind of, it's a good bit of escapism, especially during all of this 
you know. I know everybody is so nice. It's refreshing because, <laughs> and they're all so polite. And, yeah. you know, when someone really fucks up, the hosts are just, are always trying to find something positive. Yeah. And so it's very different. Have you caught on, you know, there's the same, same company produces a pottery show. In yes, I, I actually, I was in Scotland in January, right before all of this happened. Um, and I was at my aunt and uncle's house and she was like, oh, have you heard about this? It's called the Great Pottery Throwdown. And I was like, that sounds like the Bake Off. And she was like, it's literally the Bake Off, but with pottery. And I was yeah, like, no. how did that even work? And we watched an episode. It was really interesting. I I loved it. I felt, I thought it was a great thing. And if you're going to, it's the same production company. So, I mean, it is exactly the same format, same <laughs> rules, same everything. Um, but I find it kind of interesting. Um, and yes, in the middle of a pandemic, it's nice to, if you're going to binge watch things, to watch something that's, kind of fun and positive and also oh, those yeah. are the kind of shows you don't need to be glued to exactly can, like background. it's great i'll put it on sometimes if i'm working and i just want some some kind of like noise i'll put that one on that's one of my background shows well good um well hopefully this this is going to be something people are glued to when they listen to it uh not necessarily in the background but you know that's the nature of a podcast people can listen to it anywhere um i will surely send you the uh link we hope you um, you know, we, we, I, I hope that you have some new people coming to your website and your Instagram as a result. Um, but one of the things for me personally is it's, if I didn't have this, if we didn't have this podcast, I would not get to know someone like you. And I, I don't want to be selfish and <laughs> a person. So I'm glad we get to share your personality and what's behind what you're making at St. St. Francis, um, Thank you know, you. What, the person behind it. And I think it's delightful and I'm sure it comes through in everything. And as soon as I hit the stop record button, I'm going to ask you, uh, or I can just text you later, either way, uh, <laughs> about a little order I need to make for uh, for Christmas. Yep, I'd be happy to do it. Thank you so much for having me. This is so cool. I've never done a podcast before. So um, this has been a really cool experience. So thanks for having You're me. You're natural. And then in a couple of years, when you have thing, when you have your little cafe, we'll have you into the studio because that um, this is nice. I'm getting used to this. But for a while, I was really I couldn't fight it. It is what it is. But I really enjoy it. And, um, you know, to be able to visit with you on um, Tuesday morning. Um, really nice. I appreciate your taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much. I had a great time. Thank you, Siobhan. Yep. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right